This is the John Oakley Show podcast. Here we go, Hour 2 on a great day for Talk Radio. It's the midweek edition. Our panel just moments away. Topics worthy of discussion. Man, there are so many in the hopper. I don't know where to start, but uh, just having heard Danny on the news mention that Rod Phillips, the environment minister here in the province, has a new plan he'll uh, roll out tomorrow to fight climate change. United Nations just came out with a report says Canada is really falling far behind if we want to forestall the inevitable, which seems like uh, an increase to two degrees Celsius by the end of the century. We're going to have to redouble, if not triple, our efforts in that regard. Mark Stein's followed that kind of climate change story for a long, long time. He joins us right now, the international best-selling author and host of The Mark Stein Show. Mark, how you doing? Oh, well- uh, tell me, uh, are there a lot of Canadians who wouldn't actually like uh, two degrees uh, <laughs> warmer temperature in Canada uh, for most of the year? I don't. I. I mean, that's the so so the province of Ontario because it's not warm enough at uh, it's it's not it's not cold enough at Elliot Lake, right? Is that <laughs> the idea? It's not cold enough in Timmins, mm. uh, so we need to. <laughs> We need to come up with policies that will lower the temperature in uh, Timmins and Elliot Lake, uh, and that, and then we will be in compliance. The whole problem with the North American continent is that they laid it out uh, along uh, the with the border along the east-west rather than north-south. Mm. Then you'd have a warm bit of Canada, like when the uh, British Colonial Office wanted Canada to take the Turks and Caicos, so there'd be a province where the average temperature wasn't 30 below. And uh, now I can't get over this. Ontarians have to pay. I think this is fantastic. God bless you. Ontarians have to pay higher taxes to to lower the temperatures in Thunder Bay. Go for it. You're an inspiration to all of us. I'll be on the beach at Malibu thinking about you. Right. It's a little counterintuitive. I do grant you this, but, uh, you know, don't encourage them because the Prime Minister, he's got this regime now of cap and trade or a carbon tax. He's going to impose it if we don't go along. And so uh, they're fighting it in Ontario. We're going to see what the Minister Rod Phillips has tomorrow. But, I mean, you know, Trump pulled out of Paris 2015, and uh, I noticed that the emissions in America are actually uh, leading the G7. They've gone down because there are just market uh, forces that have done that. Yeah, and that's actually what happened um, the the last time. Uh, do you remember whatever that thing was called that Chrétien signed? He went Kyoto. to the U- Yeah, Kyoto. He went to UN, uh, the UN, and he signed up to it because he said Canada was a good citizen of the world. Well, actually, uh, the United States under Bush, and, and Bush... At the last climate conference he went to, which I think was in uh, wherever it was, he as he left the room, he waved to all the other presidents and prime ministers and said, uh, so long from the biggest polluter in the world. Uh, but Bush actually, Bush actually lowered, uh, lowered uh, emissions more than Canada did. And in fact, the only... Uh, na- as I uh, remember it, the only nation that actually tried to honour its obligations was New Zealand. And then they discovered they were going bankrupt. <laughs> they didn't need to wait for the rising oceans to wash them away. They were going to be kaput long before that. And, uh, and that's, the, and that's the, pro- the, the European Union and Canada had basically signed the thing and ignored it. Uh, New Zealand made the mistake of taking it seriously and, and as a result was actually seriously going to go out of business. Uh, this, this, I don't think, I, I really don't, I think this whole thing peaked, uh, this whole movement really peaked around the turn of the century 
Uh, and that, and even the people who uh, say they care about it are actually just pretending to care about it. Well, we got a prime minister who's, uh, you know, fully intent on implementing this. And, uh, you know, it's costing us in terms of uh, productivity and what have you. Look, uh, Rachel Notley, the premier out there in Alberta today, was uh, up in Ottawa claiming that keeping the oil in the ground is costing their economy $80 million a day. Mm. And there's right. no no rush to get the pipeline built, and uh, the feds don't want to help with trains, you know, because that would be the next option to transport the stuff. But I wanted to uh, ask you about something else that's happening. You know, I was talking earlier uh, in the last hour about how here in Toronto uh, there's a housing crisis, and in uh, many instances, you know, it's just supply and demand, and we're taking in 100,000 out of 413,000 uh, people who immigrate to this country, including refugees and asylum seekers, uh, 100,000 come to Toronto. There's no increase in infrastructure infrastructure and needless to say housing is lagging far behind so what are the socioeconomic uh issues or impacts because you know in america down there on the border with uh tijuana you've seen that uh, debacle happening mm. there a lot of people are concerned about uh these unskilled migrants coming in and depressing wages i mean these have socioeconomic impacts don't they yeah, I don't think any nation in developed nation needs mass immigration anymore. Uh, whatever the rationale, I mean, people are sentimental about it. In America, they're sentimental about the Statue of Liberty, give us your poor, your huddled masses, uh, the teeming refuse or the refuse of your teeming shore. I can't remember whether the refuse of the shore is teeming, but one of them is. Uh, and uh, it's a lousy poem, great statue, lousy poem. Uh, but uh, people are sentimental about it as if it's the 1860s, nobody, no, 1880s. Nobody, nobody uh, wants to go, nobody talks about the 1880s in other, any other sphere. Nobody says, oh, gay marriage. Why couldn't we, uh, why couldn't we just go back to the 1880s uh, when it, homosexuality was illegal uh, and everyone just had buggy whips? And occasionally people got a bit frisky with their buggy whips, but it wasn't a lifestyle. <laughs> and uh, and uh, the, 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 nobody goes back to the 1880s except for immigration. We're somehow on immigration, it's always 1880, and it's always give us your teeming huddle, teeming shore, masses huddling, teeming on the shore. <laughs> and the whole, everything else in the world has changed, but our attitude to mass immigration can't change. And, and simply put, no uh, developed nation, they're predicting that 30% of all jobs will be gone uh, due to automation that uh, by uh, somewhere between 2030 and 2040. Uh, that, that's absolutely extraordinary. And just managing that is going to be difficult enough without importing millions and millions and millions of people who, as you say... Uh, even if they are just going to sit at home all day, you're still going to need uh, more mass transit, uh, more streets, uh, more infrastructure, more electrical capacity. Uh, and just to bring it back to the old climate change thing, we all know, uh, because The Guardian's all in, in London and other similar leftist newspapers, always lecturing liberal women to go and have their tubes tied because a child living in the developed world uses whatever it is, six, has a, a carbon footprint 16 times as big as a, a child growing up somewhere bucolic and utopian like Somalia or Yemen. 
And this is... Uh, so, so none of these things make sense. Which is it? We want to save the planet or we want everyone to move to Rosedale. It can't be both. Again with Mark Stein, international best-selling author, host of The Mark Stein Show. Hey, did you get the word earlier today, Nancy Pelosi nominated to be the next House Speaker? Yeah, she's... Uh, I, I love Nancy Pelosi because she always appears slightly sort of woozy and out of it when she's giving <laughs> press conferences. Uh, and then the minute the camera's switched off, she's just like taking the tire iron to that caucus <laughs> and uh, operates with extreme discipline. I mean, I don't really mind who, uh, you know, frankly, Paul Ryan's stewardship of the Republican Congress, Congress the last two years was so useless and terrible. Um, I'm, I'm relatively uh, relaxed uh, uh, about uh, having... Nancy Pelosi or any other Democrat in in charge. It's interesting. In in a sense, the news cycle gallops on. So everyone was excited about Nancy Pelosi for a bit, and already they're on to uh, you know like 2020. Which which of these exciting young whippersnappers? Uh, you know, is it going to be Bernie Sanders? Is it going to be Joe Biden? Is it going to be Hillary Clinton? Uh, I'd say Nancy, who looks pretty good compared to. Uh, that that group, uh, that crowd. Why uh, why doesn't Nancy give it a go? You know, uh, but it, but it, whether Hillary Hillary's threatening to run again, uh, Joe Biden thinks his time has come. Uh, Bernie Sanders is 112 and thinks he now has the maturity and experience to be president. It's fantastic. I love Democrats, the Democratic Party, idealization of uh, utopian youth. It's a beautiful thing to see. Well, all right. So they went with the establishment figure in Pelosi. Speaking of, you mentioned the Clintons. They were in town last night here at uh, the Scotiabank Arena. And... uh, both Bill and Hillary <laughs> regaling the masses, and uh, I don't know, I didn't go, but I couldn't afford the ticket because the high end of ticket, I think, was around seven hundred bucks. Yeah, the high end, the low end, I gather, was around ten dollars if you turned <laughs> up two minutes before. They were at six. They were, I believe, the Daily Mail, God bless them, in London, actually calculated they were at sixteen point. Six percent capacity. Hmm. So you could have got one of those eighty three point four percent ten dollar. Uh, uh, 83.4% of the seats at the Scotiabank uh, were uh, unoccupied. Um, so I think they count as restricted view, which, believe me, I think is if you're looking at Billy, Bill and Hillary Clinton, you want one of the 83.4% <laughs> of restricted view seats. Um, but I, was, I, found that, I found that fascinating. I mean, imagine a booking an arena that holds 20,000 people and it's 83.4% uh, empty. You know, mm. the, it's, uh, Frank Sinatra had a great line. Uh, he, he said, you should always listen very carefully when the public is telling you goodbye. <laughs> and uh, th- that's the vibe I got from the, those Scotiabank seats. Yeah, I just didn't understand why anyone would care anymore unless she's uh, ramping up for the 2020 run, as you just alluded to. And uh, Bill, I guess, he's still charming somebody. (laughs) But uh, it wasn't me. I was not there. Uh, However, I do want to ask you about something else. This is going before the Court of Appeal in Alberta, and it has to do with campus free speech because there's a pro-life group that's uh, had to pay $17,500, according to the university administration there, for uh, security. You know, the kind of... Uh, way of censoring by security costs, security deposit. They're taking it to the Court of Appeal and uh, because the lower court upheld the administration imposing this fee on a pro-life group. It seems like there's a double standard when it comes to protected speech on campus. Would you agree? 
Yeah, I, I think I've quoted to you before my uh, Toronto friend, uh, Laura Rosen-Cohen. She, she has a line, security is the new shut-up. They don't actually ban you, but they say, oh, yeah, you, that's fine. You can have a speech. You can hold an event, uh, but we're going to need uh, $17,000, $20,000, $50,000 in security costs before you can hold your event. And obviously, if you're one of the left-wing groups, because because generally speaking, the way it's gone is that uh, left-wing groups get to hold their event and the right-wing groups don't s- smash them down or try to bust them up or whatever, whereas they do uh, with the right-wing uh, events. The left-wing groups generally try to shut them down. And so effectively, uh, the universities are giving left-wing groups a veto over over right-wing events because they're saying... Uh, yeah, everything's equal. It's just that one side of the political aisle have to pay these five-figure security costs. And it is an issue for the Supreme Court. Um, unfortunately, the Supreme Court does not have a terribly uh, good record, uh, and it's easy to see that they would actually rule that somehow this is permissible. You know, free speech isn't meant technically to be free. It comes with consequences. Uh, but it should free speech should be sufficiently free that it doesn't come with a twenty thousand dollar security tab attached to it. That basically is uh, these awful, appalling university administrators, most of whom should be working as uh, baristas somewhere else. <laughs> uh, it, it's actually the way they uh, tilt the playing field uh, to favor their political ideologies. It's routine, and it should stop. All right. As we shall stop. Mark, it's always a pleasure. I look forward to doing it again real soon. Thanks so much for your <laughs> yeah, time. And, uh, yeah, by the, come, come, come to my event at, at Scotiabank. I'm confident <laughs> we can get those 83.4% of, a, uh, of empty seats up to 89%. If you agree to, to be my supporting act, we could maybe get it up to 93%. Wait a minute. John. You I mean, already you should... got your supporting act. Dennis Miller and you are on the road in upstate New York, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, that, that's, that, that's, that's true. And I, I, actually, I tell you, I, I, I'm confident... We can break that sixteen point six percent capacity. So what are I you? No other prediction. When are you and Miller swinging by uh, these parts, or is it uh, the closest going to be Rochester? Uh, well, you know, Rochester is just a couple of hours down the QEW, but we might, you know, <laughs> we might we might sneak across and uh, do a gig in uh, I don't know St. Catharines or Hamilton. So oh. uh, you may have talked us into it. All right. Well, there you go. I'm glad I could twist your arm, boy. It took a lot. Uh, <laughs> oh, actually, uh, actually, Elliot Lake. I hear it's very balmy at this time of year. Just give it time. Give it time. All right. Uh, listen, and if you are going to be in these parts, uh, we'll make it a point of getting out to see you, and we'll speak real soon. Thanks for your time. Okay, thanks a lot, Joe. You got a Mark Stein, international best-selling author, host of the Mark Stein Show. We'll come back. It's topics worthy of discussion with our panel next here on the Oakley Show, Global News Radio, six forty, Toronto. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.